So I, I want to talk this morning from the subject, the origins of a flawed leader. The origins of a flawed leader. Uh, Jephthah is a flawed leader, but God is still able to use him. And the reality is, all of us who are in leadership roles are flawed. We have some issues. We have some challenges. We have some weaknesses. Uh, and, and, and the reality is, we need to learn how to own those things and work to improve them. But don't use them as, as an excuse not to serve where God has placed you. Now, now we need to make sure God has placed us or is placing us or is equipping us to do that. But we all have flaws. And, and, and those who are followers, you need to recognize you got some flaws. So stop expecting perfection out of him when you know you are imperfect. When you got issues, you, you got stuff you're still working on. Now, yes, there needs to be a level of maturity that he needs to have, but he's going to have some areas that he needs help in. And a loving congregation will help a leader. You won't talk about him. You will pray for him, and you'll help him where you can because as he is successful, the congregation is successful. You, you want to hurt a congregation? Destroy your leaders. Destroy your leaders, and Satan got everybody. Because there's confusion, confusion, and confusion that's going to result. And it will take years to recover from that. You guys know the truth. Let's think about congregation you've been around here. Leaders, they're messed up. Members are all confused, out of sorts. And, and then you have people trying to jump up and be leaders who've never led anything. Uh, and you have people, oh, we're just going to pray. We're going to pray that God make a way. And, instead of recognizing you can do something, beyond just praying. You can help deal with these rebellions that occur by not following those guys. But that's another lesson. So I want to I say from the very outset that God can use anyone in his service. And, and we know that when we just simply read the scriptures and we see the men and women that God has used in significant ways to advance the kingdom. Uh, men and women that he's used in many ways to lead people to Jesus. Men and women who did significant things in the local congregation that caused them to have respect and that caused them to have influence. See, at the very core, leadership is about influence. It's not about making people do anything. It's not about control. It's not about power. It's about influence, and it's about being a servant. It doesn't take you long to recognize, brothers, uh, in the local congregation, you can't make folk do nothing. In the work world, you can make folk do almost anything you want to. You know why? Because you got, you, got, you got this hanging over their head, and you know they want it. I'm glad I had the $10 on me. <laughs> but here, because, you know, church doesn't pay me. You can't make us do anything. So you got to learn how to motivate us, how to inspire us, how to equip us, and how to teach us to get anything out of us. And even with that, you got to recognize it's only going to be a, a, a certain percentage of us who are even going to follow you. You're going to have a whole bunch of folks that just show up with all kinds of attitudes, knowing uh, they're not even listening, but they just show up because it's Sunday. And you got to begin to recognize that the more experience you have. But God can use anyone in the service. 
Uh, there are some people that we read in scripture that God used. They had questionable backgrounds. Anybody remember Rahab? Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute, uh, that God used her uh, to provide shelter for the spies who were going out to spy out the land for the Israelites. Uh, anybody remember a lady by the name of Ruth, who was a Moabitess, who was a pagan? Uh, she came from a group of people that offered human sacrifices, but she shows up in the lineage of our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, anybody remember Gideon? Uh, he was a judge, but Gideon was a coward. And, and God had to help him to develop some self-confidence that he can get out and lead God's people. And, and then there was Eli. You guys remember Eli? Religious man, religious leader, but he had corrupt children. As I said at 8 o'clock, many times the way God messes with a godly man or a godly woman he can't deal with them, but he messes up their children. And some of you, if you tell the truth, you know some good people who have some children that are just horrible. And yes, they, raised, they were raised up in the church. And the children don't care enough about the fact you are hurting your mother and your father's influence by how you're acting. Because that's not how they raise you. But we get out in the world, uh, and as the old folks say, you start smelling yourself. Uh, and then you just do a whole bunch of stuff. And you bring shame on the very folk who raised you, who educated you, who have been, been doing nothing but loving you. I, I think we need to recognize that's why when we look at qualifications for leaders, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, uh, Paul goes in the home. And many times we don't look at the home. If a man cannot lead his wife and a few children, he has no business trying to lead at the church house. I don't care how much we like him. Amen. I don't care how much he puts in the collection plate. If you can't influence the very folks who's supposed to love you, they're supposed to follow you, and they won't follow you, why are you trying to talk to other people's families about following you? And we see that happening more and more, and somebody needs to call a brother out and say, man, until you get your wife to do right, until your children show up, stop talking to mine. Now, that's the truth. You won't say it, but you think it. Because we need to stop this cycle of just putting men in positions of leadership just so we can have people in leadership. And they end up hurting the congregation. They set you back years. They don't, they don't do anything positive because they set a poor example for young men looking up. And say, well, all you got to do is just have a title. All you got to do is just come to church service on Sunday. Leadership is about more than what we do on Sunday. It is about more than just being on the order of worship. It is recognizing the work of the church goes on seven days a week. It is about recognizing you as a leader got to carve out some time in your schedule to do some things Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and yes, on Saturday. And you can't see that as an imposition. You got to see that as responsibility, as duty, and you got to like it. Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that you need to have a desire. Anybody remember reading that? You got to have a desire to want to do it. You got to want to do it. Because there's going to be a whole lot of work that if you don't want to do it, you will easily find excuses not to do it. And, and people will even give you excuses so you don't have to deal with it. 
So if we just look at these people, we see that God has the ability to turn folk around. The person has to be willing to let God in their life and step up to the plate when God calls. As we see in our text this morning, leaders emerge during trying times. So there's a crisis in our text, and people remember Jephthah. They remember him because of the ability that he has. And anytime a group or a congregation is in crisis, there will be people who will rise up, who you now see they have the ability to be helpful, that these are the people that you need to be letting lead efforts. And maybe the people you were letting lead things need to be sitting down. Because in the church, we, we, we are quick, too quick to accept volunteers on too many things. And, and there are just some things that go on. You need somebody who knows what they're doing. Okay, you get sick, and, and your doctor says you got to have surgery. Uh, you want the person who volunteers and say, hey, I'll cut you up. I've never gone to medical school, but I just believe I can do it. You want to see some credentials? Are you going to check? Are you in good standing with the medical society? You're going to do all that before you let somebody put you to sleep and go in the operating room where you're going to cut on me. Now, if we care that much about our physical bodies, how much more ought we to care about the spiritual body, the church. And so I want to leave with this thought that church leaders are not perfect. They're not perfect because they come from you all. And so if us not perfect, he can't be perfect because he comes from us. We expect too much perfection out of somebody who may be very well struggling with some of the same issues we are. And so that's why the Bible instructs us, pray for your leaders. Do things that encourage them. Don't make their work work harder than it has to be. Because it's hard already. It's hard dealing with hard-headed adults, stiff-necked folk, to use the terminology from the Old Testament. Because we think we're grown. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. And you don't look at all the poor mistakes that your history shows you've been making. The origins of a flawed leader. Remember, leaders are people just like you are. And they got issues. They have weaknesses. They have areas that need to be strengthened. And what we need to start learning how to do is to support your leaders, not talk about them. Pray for them. Do things that encourage them so that they will want to do the challenging things associated with that position. Now, when we go to uh, Judges chapter 11, we meet Jephthah. And so what we learn about Jephthah is that he has some interesting things that happens to him early in life. He has some things that happen to him that shape him into the person that he is. And I need for us to all understand, you and I are shaped by the families that we come from, for good or for bad. Some of us are messed up right now because of the families we came from. And some of us have been set up to be very successful also because of the families that we came from. So our families have a whole lot to do with how we turn out. And, 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 and as a leader, 
we got to recognize that you have something to do with how your children turn out. Now, you can blame their mama if that's what you want to do, uh, but she didn't have them by herself. And so let's look at what the Bible says. Verse 1, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he had some issues. So we, we learn at the very core, he's a mighty man of valor, but the text says, but he was a son of a harlot. He was a son of a prostitute. Now that's a problem right there. If your mama was a prostitute, or if your mama was a crackhead, or if your mama uh, spent a significant amount of time in jail, and all the folk in your hometown and in your neighborhood knew about it, how, how are you going to feel? If every time people see you, there goes that Ill illegitimate child. That's, that's not going to make him feel good or her feel good. It's baggage that they are now going to have to deal with to overcome if they're going to be anything successful. So, Jephthah starts out with a heavy burden. But it doesn't stop there. Gilead's wife bore, bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you have no inheritance in your father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So stepbrothers throw him out. In essence, they say, yeah, we got the same daddy, but we ain't got the same mama. Imagine Miss Gilead having to see this boy that your husband fathered with another woman every day. Do you think she's going to be reminded of what he did? Imagine what happens every day, or every year they celebrate his birthday. That's, that's another year I'm reminded of your unfaithfulness to me. Uh, that's another year that, that says, you, you're trying to play me as a fool. You know how you sisters would, would fix that up. And, and as that's going on, imagine as... The, the, the wife is having other children, that these children are growing up understanding my brother and I don't have the same mama. Okay, if that's not bad enough, imagine learning that my brother's mother is a prostitute and he doesn't even know who she is. I'm trying to help you to understand, he, he got some issues that he's gonna have to overcome. And as the rest of the story goes, he does overcome them, but just imagine the mental stress and anguish. And really, to a certain extent, it's probably a relief that they kick him out of the house. Because at least now I'm not reminded of this. I can now go somewhere where nobody knows me. They don't know my heritage. So they're not looking at me I said, that's an illegitimate child of Gilead. I, I need for us to understand, and, and we don't like to talk about this in polite company, but many times we set up our families like this. 
And mamas and daddies, you don't recognize the shame and embarrassment you bring your children into. When you, your mama's last name is Lewis, but your last name is Green. How did that happen? Oh, I, uh, the color just came in my mind. That is an illustration. Not throwing any shade. And so, and, and so it's just natural for children to ask questions. They don't mean no harm. But as you have to answer that, you yourself are, are reminded that, that I, I got a background I don't want to talk about. And again, it sets the child up for, for potentially low self-esteem. We wonder why sometimes our children are easily influenced by other folks. Uh, look at the environment you brought them up in. And Jephthah did not ask to be brought into the world. His daddy went to a prostitute. I'm sure he wasn't thinking she was going to get pregnant, but that's a consequence of it. But even as we learn this about Jephthah, the text started out by saying he was a mighty man of valor. God saw something in him. Even in his early childhood, even as he's going through uh, this kind of rough environment, God saw something in him, and God was going to use him. And, and, and that's where our comfort comes in the fact that God can use anybody, no matter what you have uh, gone through, and God can make that person a leader, even of God's people. Sometimes some of the best leaders we have in the church didn't grow up in the church of Christ. But there are men that God has dealt with. And a man who appreciates grace that God has extended to him versus somebody who took it for granted. Now, a lot of you folks who've grown up in church, you take it for granted. That's why you marry anybody you want to marry. You date anybody you want to date. You don't care about marrying or dating somebody in the faith. You just want a man or a woman. And that's what you end up getting. And then when trouble comes... Now you want the church to overlook this and, and, and you just get out of that situation as if it's okay. It's not okay. So, so you, 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 see, you see Jephthah. You see the environment that he came from. But God recognizes him as a mighty man of valor. And I have no doubt somebody in the audience, you've come up, and in, and in an unfavorable family situation. Now, I know you don't want to talk about it, don't like, talk, don't like even be reminded of it. But recognize God can use you in spite of how you got here. He's just that powerful. Which is why you and I need to, to trust him and depend on him and not other people. So in verses 3 through 5, Jesper says he has to get out of Dodge because the older brothers tell him, you're not getting no inheritance from daddy's stuff. Because your mama is somebody else. And, I, and I, just since I'm here, when you start blending these families, and when dying time comes, and inheritance time's coming, you guys have seen it, where, where siblings will say, you, you're an outside child, you're not getting nothing. And you're not going to have anything to say over the funeral arrangements for our, our parents. It's a consequence of those actions. Verse 3 through 5, Jephthah finds a home. He moves to Tob, which is northeast of Gilead. The text says he started associating with worthless men. Now, some of your translations will say he started associating with outlaws. 
See, the good people didn't want him. So he had to associate with whoever wanted to associate with him. But even in the midst of dealing with these uh, worthless men, these outlaws, his leadership emerges. He's leading that group of people. See, you can't keep a good leader down. Either he's going to lead God's people or he's going to find somebody else that will let him lead him. But if you got the gift of leadership, it's going to show up. So he associates with questionable men because his family rejected him. He, he associates with questionable people because the community back home rejected him. So where else does he have to go? He got to start all over. And, and so as he's in top, he develops a reputation as a leader, as a military person, as somebody you can depend on. And so out of this family tragedy, out of this community tragedy, we see a leader being, being developed by God. See, God uh, many times will let stuff happen to you to sharpen you, to equip you so that you can be in a position when he's ready to use you you equip. God doesn't waste any pain. God doesn't raise, waste any challenges that we go through. It is all about perfecting us so that when he calls us up to serve, we're ready and able to serve. And some of us act like we're not equipped when you have been equipped. You've gone through stuff that was designed to equip you. You just got to recognize it and get on the playing field. And stop being comfortable sitting in the pew. And a part of that comes from being a part of congregations where you weren't expected to do anything but just show up for worship service. See, we like those kind of congregations. I can just show up, and as soon as the dismissal, I can just leave. Because we want to save all of our energy for the man. Because I get paid by the man. And I want to get promotions by the man. Instead of recognizing that God is the man who is in control of your life and the life of the company you work for. Maybe God just needs to downsize some of you before you start recognizing he needs to come first. I, I think I may include that in my prayer. Uh, God just downsized some people at the Bedford Street congregation. Maybe that'll help them do right. Now, whether I pray that prayer or not, if that's what God wants to do to shape you, you need to recognize that's what he'll do. So, so Jephthah develops a dependable reputation as a leader. And out of that bad situation, God, God is equipping him. God is preparing him. Because a little bit later in the text, we learn them folk back home that kicked him out, they're now in a situation where they need him. Isn't it amazing how folk will kick you to the curb when they get in need, they come wow. asking for your help. And then they act like they got amnesia and all the bad stuff they said about you, all the backstabbing that they did never happened. We best buddies now. Well, when if we were best buddies, you would have never forced me to leave. Well, if we were best buddies, we would have maintained communication. Uh-huh. Get a car. And all your friends don't have one. See if you don't get some phone calls, some texts, and emails, because folk need to go some places, and they know you got a car. Okay, get 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 a big apartment, get a, get a house, 
and everybody who needs a room to stay, uh, suddenly they remember you. And now they start calling and maybe even just dropping by just to see how you're doing. When you know they got an ulterior motive. So in verses, uh, in, in verse 4 and 5, the, the leaders or the elders at Gilead, they changed their minds about Jephthah. Now, you got to recognize that the mighty man of valor was in Jephthah when he was in Gilead. They had a problem with his birth, his background. And they allowed that to blind them to his potential for service. And I need to remind us, congregation, that many times we get blinded to the potential leadership ability of young people in our congregation because you've got too many old people that don't want to step aside and, and, and let people who are obviously better qualified and who are more suited to lead a ministry than they are to give them an opportunity. And so we kick people to the curve and, and they end up leaving and, and giving the better part of service at other places. Now, they got their foundation with us. We invested in them. But some other place gets the benefit of it. I need for you, congregation and family and parents to understand, let's engage our young people while they are young in the local congregation so when it's time to go away to college, they're not going on the other side of the world. We need their involvement now. And so maybe if we open up some doors, instead of traveling thousand miles, they'll go somewhere locally so they can be still involved with us on the weekend. Now, you got to say something to this youngster to help them understand there's a place for you. We need your skill. Okay, you want to get a law degree? The church needs a lawyer. Amen. You come back here and advise us on legal issues. Uh, you want to get a, 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 a degree in counseling? We got enough folk up in here with mental health illnesses and everything else. You can have a thriving business just off of us. Uh, whatever skill you want to get, you can use it to bless God's people. And who better to bless than people who have blessed you along the way? But we got to make those opportunities available and meaningful opportunity, not go, uh, uh, not, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not menial task. Give them something meaningful to do. I'm thankful that we got all these young people working in our media ministry. Computers is stuff they just do. They can look at a computer and know what to do to it, and you got to pull out the manual to try and read and still won't understand it. So a, a good ministry for these youngsters who are computer literate is our media ministry for them to be involved in. Now we can take good use of their computer skills. But you got to think strategically like that to get a connection so they see they have something to offer the local congregation that's valuable. Because I enjoy my PowerPoints up. But I'm not going to work the system. So we need some people to work the system. Oh, and by the way, I'm not going to put my PowerPoint together. I'm going to write my ideas down, but we need somebody to put it together, format it, you know, all that kind of good stuff. That's teamwork. 
I'm the idea man. I'm going to give you the idea, but I need somebody else to do the hands-on stuff. And, and so he finds a home. He's successful there. And then the leaders in his old home come to him because they have a change of mind. They now see that they need him. Verse number six. Yeah, there's my godfather slide. <laughs> so they come to Jephthah with an offer. And they think it's an offer he won't refuse. So Jephthah being the leader that he is, doesn't just fall for anything. You will see as we go further, he asks some questions. See, when, when you know who you are, you know your skill set, you know your value, you don't just accept anything that gets dropped in your lap. So a job offer doesn't mean anything to you without some discussion, some detail. And, and, and so they come to him because they want him to be commander of their army. They want him to be the military leader to lead them and battle against the Ammonites. That's what they want. Because they're not in trouble. These people are troubling them. And, and they need a leader who can galvanize their military to fight the enemy. When folk need you, they have no problem trying to find you. Even if they got to track you down through multiple people to get your number or to find you on Facebook. So again, they want him as the commander of the army, they're military strategists. But then in verses 7 through 8, Jephthah asks some key questions. He's not just going to accept what they have. He's going to, he's going to bargain with these people. See, when you know your value and you know a company wants you, you don't have to accept the first offer. You can say, if you want me, five weeks vacation every year. Amen. That's what we're going to start there. Oh, we can't do that. Okay, no, thank you. I'll just move on. When you know you have a skill set that other folk won't. Now, if you're confident in your ability and you have demonstrated that, you don't have no problem. Now, if you don't have the confidence, you don't have any demonstrate, you don't have no resume or all that kind of, you better take the first thing that come along. <laughs> but Jephthah says to them, don't you remember how you treated me when I, was, when I was back home? You guys ran me out of town. None of you supported me. You got caught up in my heritage. You got caught up in, in that, and so you uh, went right along with the folk who wanted to get rid of me uh, at that point. Now you want me back. You want me back because they say, we're now in a situation where we need a military leader, and we now recognize you're the man. Now recognize, but he was a man even when he was there. Sometimes it's after a person that's kicked you to the curve that they understand how valuable Okay, you guys don't get it. Sometimes it's after you've gotten rid of a good woman that you recognize how good she was. Okay, you know, sometimes you, after you've gotten rid of a good man and all these dogs have been coming around, you, you begin to remember he was a good man. Okay, sometimes after you fire a good preacher and, and all these hirelings come along, who all they want to do is preach for and get paid, then you begin to recognize a man who sacrificed, who was with you. But yeah, sometimes you just got to go uh, down that road to appreciate the skill set of a qualified leader. 
And so remember, Jephthah is a mighty man of valor. He knows his worth. Question, do you know your worth? Do you know your worth? Because if you understand your worth, then you won't settle. You won't compromise. You won't put up with a whole bunch of stuff. Because you know your worth. And so now they change the offer. So before it was, we want you to be commander of the military. Now they want to be head over their people. That's the difference between just commanding the military than being leader of the nation. So they kind of sweeten the offer. Because they understand, Jephthah understands what you're trying to do. You're trying to use it. But Jephthah understands what he has to offer. And so that's why he can question them about the situation. See, a good leader acts, course, they're just not going to fall for anything. So if you wanted me to do something for you, I'm going to ask, what do you want me to do? When do you want it done? Okay, what's, what are my parameters? Okay, do I have the last say or will I have to follow up with somebody to get their ultimate approval? That's what I'm asking you. I'm, I'm not going to let it, uh, I'm not going to go with this superficial stuff, and then when I start doing stuff, then I start hitting roadblocks mm -hmm. that I didn't anticipate. Now I got to check with five people on this. You never told me that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people won't tell you that because they know you won't fall for it. Mm -hmm. They think you're desperate. And when you start acting desperate, wow. like sister, some of you act desperate for a man, wow. he already knows what he needs to do to turn your head. And he doesn't even have to say, I do, or pop the question, or pop the real question. Yeah. I'll put it that way. So, not on that one. Let me preach this thing. Let me preach this thing. And, and so again, as we, we see as the situation evolves, Jephthah understands his value, who he is, and what he has to offer. And when you understand those things, you don't fall for the okie doke. If, if you're going to get involved in something, it has to be something worthy of your talents and your skills. Stop falling for something just because somebody asks you to do something and you think it's all that significant. No, a lot of times just grunt work. They don't want to do it, and they're giving it to you. And then you discover that after you get involved with it, you know, it is something that is beneath my skill set. So, so Jephthah says in verses 9 through 11, if I win the battle, will you make me your head? And he has this public discussion with them because he doesn't want them to stab him in the back. You guys know how people actually do stuff, and it's a, it's, a, it's a private conversation. And so they can always claim amnesia when this thing comes up. Well, I didn't say that. We don't have it written down anywhere. So one of the things that you learn in, in, in as you uh, develop your, your career is that we don't get it in writing. So I want a job description. So you can't be coming up, coming up with stuff we never talked about and saying, well, you got to do this if you want to get paid. 
And so, fortunately, uh, as the text will reveal, the elders agree before God to honor this deal. Now we got some certainty that these folk uh, are going to stick with what we say. Because now you're bringing God into the picture. And, and, and we know that they respect God enough to honor what they say. And, and so Jephthah now gets two positions. He is the commander or head of the military, and then he's a leader of the people. Now, that would not have occurred if he had accepted the first offer that they had. Uh, that would not have occurred. See, people forget that if you have lived among them, you know them. You, you, know, you know how they do stuff. You know how they conduct business. Uh, you, and, and so you have to protect yourself. And whereas I don't necessarily agree with contracts uh, at the church between the minister and the, and, the, and the congregation, I understand why they do that. Because uh, this group may hire you and they die off. And the, the folk that come behind them will act like, we don't know nothing about that. When you've been here for the last 10 years while the man was serving, you knew that there was an agreement there. But because I didn't sign it, I can act like it wasn't there. And cut your salary and do a whole bunch of other kind of things to show how ungodly uh, those brothers can be. So, so the deal is made, and what we'll see in verses uh, 12 through uh, 29 is Jephthah carrying out the steps to win the victory. Now, when we get to verses 30 to 35, Jephthah has made a vow to God. He has had some military victory. God has blessed him. And, and so he makes this vow that if God delivers the Ammonites into his hand, that he is ultimately going to sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the door at his house. It's a nice sounding idea, but it's a vow he did not have to make. And it was a vow that's made based on ego and pride, not because of anything uh, that God requires. And, and I need for us to understand that Jephthah, when we go back to when he first went to Nah, think about the kind of uh, uh, talk, think about the people he was hanging out with outlaws, worthless men. So he was used to dealing with people with questionable character. He was used to being around pagans. And so you hang around enough pagans long enough, some of that stuff gets into you. Yeah, you got some God in you, but you got some paganism in you also. And so you're going to have some good victories, but you're going to mess up and do some crazy stuff because of who you've been hanging out with. And, and, and I need for you to understand, those of you who hit and miss in church attendance, and you're hanging out with thieves and thugs and pagans, that stuff will catch up with you when you least expect it. Stick with God's people, and you never have to worry about that. He was used to hanging around people who made or committed animal sacrifices. Now, the God side of him would never think, oh, I'm going to sacrifice a human being or anything like that. But saying what he said, making a vow, open the door for you to not have to follow through on that kind of stuff. So he gets the victory. God gives him the victory because he's God's mighty man of valor. He's on his way home, 
And guess what happens as he's going home? He's already made the vow. The first thing comes out of the door, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord, his daughter. The text says not only is she his daughter, his only daughter. He doesn't have another daughter. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a spare. One and only. So he now recognizes the foolishness of the statement he's made because he's obligated now to carry out the vow that he's made. I need for us to understand, you make a vow pledge to God, you are obligated to carry that out if you have any integrity. That's one of the reasons why when we pledge our finances for the year, if you have any integrity, you need to honor that. And don't make excuses about, well, I had to uh, get four new tires from a car. Uh, my refrigerator went out, so I had to buy another refrigerator. That's just life happening. You factor all that in before you make your pledge. And you put everything else on the credit card. Why can't you put that refrigerator on the credit card and keep your money flowing and give as you uh, agree to? Mm-hmm. Because you want the easy way out. We just rob God and God understands. So as Jephthah ponders all this, he's grieved. He's upset by his decision. And, and so he will make statements like, she troubled him. You have grieved me. You brought me down low. His daughter didn't do that. He did that by the unwise decision that he had made. And isn't it just like people? When the rubber meets the road, we will blame other people for bad choices, bad decisions that we made. He gave his word to God on this foolish, foolish vow, and now he has to honor it. Good leader, but he made a dumb decision. So just because a person is a good leader, effective leader, does not mean every decision he makes is going to make sense. Here we go back to being flawed, making mistakes, uh, speaking before he thinks. Because you can have such uh, success in your life that you get caught up in that and don't recognize God is the one who's ultimately giving you the victory. You don't have to promise God. You don't have to swear to God. You don't have to all that kind of stuff. Just do what he's called you to do. Be faithful and see what God's going to do. And so now he has to sacrifice his daughter. All because of a foolish decision that he made. And too many times, leaders make foolish decisions when it comes to their families. Come on, all of you know some preachers, some elders, some deacons who made dumb decisions and tore up their family. And he does not understand you did this by what you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You set in motion some stuff, and now you're reaping it. So just be God's man and do what God has told you to do, and you don't have to worry about this. Lessons for today. People follow leaders because of their giftedness. People follow leaders because you believe 
He has the ability to take me somewhere. He has the ability to get done what he's talking about us doing. He, he knows where we're going, even if I don't know. And I trust him. You don't have that kind of allegiance to leaders you don't trust. <coughs> Sisters, you married your husband because you thought he was a leader. Now, after 5, 10, 15 years, do you still have that belief? Don't answer it. At least don't answer it out loud. Because when you don't check the evidence, you just go with external stuff. You, you, can, you can have one appreciation, and a year or two later, you, you recognize that was all smoke. That was all smoke and scream. He's just trying to get me. And yeah, he got you. But a lot of times, you saw some stuff there that was inconsistent, but you were in love. And you thought love conquers all. And I can change him. And he'll do better once I'm in his life. Mm -hmm. And now you're the one about to lose your mind. But people follow leaders because of their giftedness. We need to select more men as leaders of our congregation who demonstrate giftedness. Not just because we like them. There are a lot of brothers that are likable, but they are incompetent leaders. There are a lot of brothers that give a whole lot of money, but they can't lead you nowhere. One, they don't have the desire. Two, they don't have the skill set to do it. Leading in the work world is different than leading at the church house. And by now, we ought to have learned that a guy can be a successful CEO out yonder and fail as a preacher, elder, or deacon. This is a different, set, different skill set. You can get anybody to do whatever you want when you're paying them. Folk will hate you and still work for you because you're paying them. Okay, you don't believe that? Uh, some of you are going to a job tomorrow. You don't want to go at it, but they're paying you, and they're paying you well. And so that's why you're going. And you're going to continue to go as long as they pay you well. But you're going to hate it every time you go there. Secondly, good leaders ask relevant questions. They don't just ask questions. They, they ask questions that are, that are meaningful to what's going on. And I would say good leaders don't mind folk asking them questions. If, if God is with you, you're God's man, this is God's plan, then you have no uh, no gumption with just simply sharing, I'm doing this because this is what I understand scripture to be saying. And this is what I believe God is leading us to. And, and so you're not intimidated. A, a lot of times, uh, leaders won't have church meetings because they don't want people to ask them questions. They'd rather keep everybody in, in, ignorant. And not recognizing, but these people have a right to understand why we do what we do here. They, they have a right to ask you, what are you doing with the church's funds? And if you're spending them for the right reason, you say, go see the finance, they'll give you the printout. And you see for yourself what we're doing. You ain't got nothing to hide. Notice I said good leaders. 
we'll do this. Recognize as we look at the life of Jephthah, even good leaders can make stupid, dumb decisions. All it takes is to take your eyes off God for a second, and you will say or do something that makes no sense. And then when you finally come to yourself, you recognize how crazy that decision was, or it was crazy what you said. Problem is you can't take it back. You've done it, you said it. And, and, and for many people who are leaders, it's hard for them to acknowledge when they messed up. They bulldoze you and act like this is a good decision when 99% of us know it was a bad decision. Why don't you just do the right thing and just acknowledge it was, it was a bad decision? It's not like nobody else has not made a bad decision. We understand it happens. And then the final thought, good leaders follow through on their commitments. We need some men we can depend on. Uh, that when he says he's going to do this, he's going to be here, uh, he's going to take care of this detail, you can go on. Because he's demonstrated that he's committed and he's consistent. We send out the order of worship here. Uh, almost a month in advance with assignments, worship assignments for people, or AV assignments, or security assignments to people. The expectation is when you get those lists, if there's a conflict with the schedule or whatever, you say something about it. You don't just say, well, I can't be there. They'll find somebody else. No, you communicate with the person so that we're not left with a vacancy here that we could have easily uh, uh, plugged in if you had just simply told us you weren't going to be here. And so as we enter into this uh, leadership training, then one of the things that we're going to focus on is the importance, brothers, of following through on your commitments. Following through on your commitments without having to be told to do it. See, if I'm having to tell you everything you need to do, I might as well do it myself. You, you are invested. You're given uh, the opportunity to serve there, so you can do that, and I can move on to something else. And I'm tired of delegating things to people, and then it gets dropped back in my lap a day before the assignment was due. And the person shows no humility and says, hey, I messed up. I knew I should have done this by now. Please forgive me, whatever. It's just no, no sense of obligation to recognize you have shown yourself to not be dependable. And so then you wonder why you're not given another opportunity to do something, because you've shown yourself to be not dependable. Jephthah had a lot to overcome, and praise be to God, he overcame it. He became that mighty man of valor. But even as he became that mighty man of valor, he still had some flaws. And every brother, every husband, every father, every uncle, every Bible school teacher, everybody who's in a leading role in this auditorium, you and I have some flaws. So stop acting like you're perfect. Stop trying to defend stuff that is indefensible. You messed up. Just go ahead and say, I messed up. I forgot. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Man up. People will respect you for acknowledging your shortcomings and your weaknesses. In fact, you just messed up because it happens all the time. We are God's people, and we, and we deserve the best that we have to offer.
Let's learn how to stop giving your best after whatever company you work for. Stop giving your best after your hobbies. Stop giving your best out to all these idols that are out there. And there are a ton of idols in the world we live in. Give your best to the God, the God that blesses you every day. You know how to know you're blessed? You're alive. You're alive. You got a reasonable, active mind. You dress yourself this morning. Uh, you know how to use a toothbrush. And you know that a toothbrush and a comb are not the same. Because you're not trying to put toothbrush in your hair or put a comb in your mouth. You, you, you're blessed. And I say that because there are people who don't know the difference. And there's a place for them. And there are people who, who, whose job it is to take care of those people. So let's be thankful for where we are and recognize God is the one who's doing this. And let's give him our best. Let's acknowledge our, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, because he already knows. Let's do that because the people we work with, they know. I, I just don't understand how, how people can present as if they're perfect when they're around folk who know your stuff is not right. We know your family is not right. We know you're not right, but we love you in spite of it. And we're praying for you and willing to help you. That's not necessarily, that's not necessarily a weakness because we're part of one body and we're supposed to help each other. I'm going to pause there. We're supposed to help each other, not hurt each other, not hinder each other, not gossip about each other. But do what we can to lighten loads. We're called to be servants. Servants have no rights. Servants' feelings don't matter. Servants control nothing. A servant's job is to take orders, directions from your master. And all of us are to take directions from the book. And if God uses this man to tell us what's in the book, why are you getting mad at him? He's just simply telling you what God has told us in the book. If you simply read the book, you'd know that what he's saying is what God said. I think I've said enough. This, this afternoon, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need to make, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Brothers, it's time for us to stand up. Amen. To that effect, on the third Sunday, third Sunday in September, third Sunday in September, I want to meet with every man who's a member of this congregation at the 11 o'clock service. Third Sunday in September, I don't know what the date is, Third Sunday after 11 o'clock service. Sisters, on that Sunday, pack your patience. <laughs> because we're going to have worship, and we're going to dismiss everybody out of the auditorium, and me and the brothers are, are going to have a one-on-one. -on -one. Now, if you got to go, then carpool with some other sister, or tell your husband to give you the keys to the car, and some brother will make sure he gets home. But we got to do some things differently here, brothers. And if you care anything about our congregation, 
don't switch services on that Sunday. Because uh, I know some of you who normally come at 8 o'clock say, oh, the meeting's at 11 o'clock. I'm going to just show up for 11 o'clock. No, we need you to be at 8 o'clock, Bible class, and you stay for 11 o'clock service. Mm-hmm. Because we need some honest conversation. And we need to get some things moving in a better direction. And for better or for worse, God has given the leadership in the local congregation to men. And brothers, we, we need to take that as an honor. That's, that's an honor. That's a privilege. Third Sunday, September, after 11 o'clock service. We're going to meet for how long, however long it takes. Don't be talking to me about lunch and that kind of stuff. There's McDonald's. There's all these places around here. Uh, we ought to be done in 30 minutes for sure. But we're going to have some grown folk talk among the brothers. And the meeting we have is going to stay with the brothers. So don't be asking him when he gets up, what do you all talk about? <laughs> no, pray for him and pray for us. If you need to respond, please do so as we stand and sing.